our world is driven by sociological systems, social organizations, politics, and really just some dumbass shit. It can get confusing. I'm here to unconfuse shit. Welcome to Sociopolitical Mindscape. Enjoy the ride. Welcome to Sociopolitical Mindscape. I'm your host, Tim. Uh, joining me today is my lovely, lovely wife and co-host for the day, Tanya Bradley. So today we are going to end up talking with a sex worker by the name of Laura Savage. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, religious shaming of sex, but also religious shaming of sex workers. We're going to be talking about like regular people um, having being kind of discriminating against uh, sex workers of all types, whether it be full service sex workers, women in the adult industry, men in the adult industry, uh, male sex workers. Um, like just tons of different people are discriminated against because of sex work. Um, so with, with you here, honey, like kind of what kind of things, what kind of questions would you have for like sex workers? What do you think would be some questions that would be like top of your mind? In regards to shaming? Uh-huh. Um, I guess it would be more like how it affects their family. Uh-huh. Like, are they getting shamed by their family members, mm-hmm. people that are close to them? Do they're, you know, I don't know if they're letting them know that they're doing this work. Okay. Or if they're keeping it from the family because they're fearful of being shamed. Mm-hmm. So what we have is um, in, we, there was a study done that it kind of talks about uh, minority stress, which is uh, more minority stressors are a um, model. It was a model um, that for the listeners, I will actually um, on our pay or on our uh, page and on our uh, intro, I will actually put a link so that if you would like to read about the minority stress model, you can do so. But basically, uh, it was first developed for the LGBT community, and it basically talks about uh, distal stressors and um, and other stressors. So a lot of them have uh, or proximal and distal stressors, and so you have times in which uh, you're stressed out because of things that uh, happen to you, and then there are also times because that you're stressed out because of having to hide who you are, having to hide the things that you do, having to hide uh, who you are as a person. Now that it was done for the LGBT community, not sex workers in general, but it was done for the LGBT community um, originally because a lot of times people couldn't come out of the closet. They had to stay silent, things like that. And we have found out that um, it works in, when it comes to the sex worker community also because of the laws and things like that. They can't just come out and say what they're doing, that kind of stuff. Or how they're making their um, or income. Or how, how they're making their income, things like that. And um, and it also makes it to where they're not as safe doing their jobs either because it's really hard to go and uh, talk to other people about what you do so that you have that support system, that mental health support system. 
<coughs> so today, <coughs> sorry. So today we will be uh, talking to Laura Savage about her experience. Now, Laura is also a uh, sex worker coach. So she actually offers training classes and things like that for new sex workers to kind of help them uh, in the in the uh, sex work arena so that they know like proper boundaries, like financing, that kind of stuff. Uh, because most people don't understand that sex work is not just, uh, sex work is not, shouldn't be seen as criminal. Sex work should be seen as a business because it is a business. And a lot of these people uh, that are in sex work are really smart business people. They're able to do, they do their own marketing. They do their own, um, they do their own accounting. They do their own, uh, they, they maintain a business, mm -hmm. but people don't understand that because they, they look at them and they say, oh, well, these are, they're sex workers. They're just being, doing illegal things. When it's kind of a profession. Then right. It, it's no different than me being a, ther a therapist, right? Like mm -hmm. I talk to people and try to help them with their issues and things like that. And I make um, money for doing that. I have to do my own taxes. I have to do, well, I would if I was private practice. I have to, I would have to um, do my own marketing as a, as a therapist, that kind of stuff. It's the same kind of deal, uh, but people don't see my actions as criminal, whereas mm -hmm. they look at sex work as a criminal act. And, and so me, I can, uh, in Canada, as you know, in Canada, sex work itself is not illegal. Uh, mm -hmm. Sex work is legal here in Canada, buying sex. So People, so the people who go and buy sex, that's not legal. Anybody making profits off of sex work, such as like your, um, so like say you're a sex worker and you hire a security driver, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, they can't, that's illegal. So like they can't pay somebody to drive them around to keep them safe, that kind of stuff. They can't do that because those things are illegal. Advertising is actually illegal because, or it's not illegal for the sex worker to advertise. It's illegal for the places that they're advertising to host them. So what they've that, done. That elim really limits them. Not only is it limiting them uh, financially, but it is also limiting their, their safety. So if you can't, if you have to worry about somebody, I mean, if you can't hire like somebody to help keep you safe, like your security, things like that then at that point, um, you are, you're not going to be a safe. It also, um, if a hotel or someplace like that, um, pro can't, they're not allowed to profit off sex work either. So like the sex worker can't use hotels, can't do anything like that, because if they do, then those hotels can get into trouble. And so you see a lot of your full service sex workers in Canada, at least, um, doing it out on the streets and things like that and being street sex workers. Um, and so a lot of times you see, see that instead of being an escort service or, or escort something. services are not allowed uh, uh, in Nevada, there is there are brothels. Brothels are not allowed here in Canada. There's tons of things that are not allowed, which would keep folks safe. Right. But they're not allowed and generate taxes for the. The right, province right. Or the state, like they so, could be declaring income on this. Right. So decriminalizing all of this makes way more sense in the aspect of it's no different than any other type of job. In fact, if you say you're a construction worker, right, 
-hmm. you're swinging a hammer all day long. Are you not selling your body? Your labor, yes. Right. And that's all sex workers are trying to say is that that's their, that they're selling their legal labor. Now, what makes this different is that here in Western society, for sure, we are part of a Judeo-Christian society. Now, not everybody in America, not everybody in Canada are Christians, but we were founded on Judeo-Christian sociological framework, okay? And because of that, unfortunately, we also have a, um, we also have a real big problem with um, any kind of sexual shaming, right? Like if, if your church, the people at your church find out that you're having sex with somebody and you're not married, they shame you. Mm-hmm. Um, if your kid, if your parents or your kids, right, find out that you're living in a polyamorous relationship, they may shame you. Um, don't know if you've had experience with that, but, you know, um, so there's lots of different sh- ways that people shaming, that people shame you. And as a therapist, shame is one of those things where it really affects your mental health, right? And like anybody that's, that's had uh, trauma, sexual trauma, anything like that, they know what that shame feels like and, and how it hurts you mentally and physically. And so for me, shaming, the shaming of sex workers and things like that is something that actually damages versus helping them, right? And the, the bill uh, that we had in place, Bill C-36 here in Canada, uh, the protection of communities and exploited persons, right? Um, that act was passed to supposedly save human trafficking victims and mm-hmm. sex workers, right? Yeah. But it's not. What it's doing is making them less safe. Um, we have developed a savior mentality for everything. And the problem is, is instead of saving people, we should be empowering people, right? Because like you said, it's all based on their, the, their beliefs. Yeah, it's based on moral, moral beliefs from a society that is purely patriarchal. So you know yourself, right? As a woman right? And in the, you're in the military, right? So like as a woman in the military, and we won't talk about what military you're in, but as a woman in in the military, right? Um, Okay, I'm going to edit this part out. All right. So you know a little bit about that yourself as a woman that works in a professional line, right? And, and things like that. And we won't go into your profession, but you know that there have been there has been a lot of sexual assault, sexual harassment, things like that geared towards women constantly. Why do you think that is? Because we live in a very patriarchal society. So you don't hear a lot of stuff, you don't hear a lot of stuff happening to men. It does happen to men, but you don't hear about it very often because honestly, it is usually men that are the perpetrators. And that is a fact. Mm -hmm. But when you live in a patriarchal society, you're wanting to blame, you, you end up blaming the women for things. So you're blaming the sex worker for the thing, for, for sex work. Whereas instead, if we provided uh, more housing opportunities, more educational opportunities, more employment opportunities, things like that. Medical. Medical opportunities, all these different opportunities. If we provided them with this, 
a lot of your survival sex workers, which are sex workers who have to do this to make money, that would not be happening as much because we would have support systems in place, right? But we don't have those support systems in place. Um, so instead, we criminalize people who are just trying to make a living, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're, if all of a sudden, this patriarchal society came out and said, women are not allowed to work at all. So you couldn't feed yourself, feed your kids, that kind of thing like that. What do you do? You mean besides kill all the men? Right. That's exactly, no, no, and it, no, I think that's, I think that's fantastic, right? I think that's for, but that's kind of, point, so that's kind of the point is that, is that a lot of you, you know, many of us do not want to be reliant on men. And that's exactly the point. Many people don't want to have to rely on others to take care of them. Yeah. And so if a person does go to sex work, right? You should see them no differently than you do somebody who decides to become a dentist. Because honestly, they're just in a career. And the only thing that makes you see them differently is a sociological structure that has trained us from, set, from, from be the beginning to make sex immoral, unless you're married. Mm -hmm. It all comes back to religious beliefs. It really, really does. And all politics. of that stuff. All of, all of that stuff comes to religious belief, um, politics, and, patriot, and patriarchal society, right? When you look at the pagan societies of, of early, like the Greek societies, right? They had um, the temples of uh, Venus and Aphrodite, right? They had these temples back in the, back in the Greek and, and Roman days to their goddess of love. And in those, they had temple priestesses who were also sex workers. And they were revered, right? They were very, very high in that in the community structure, because paganism, like those, was very even more even balanced. It wasn't a strictly patriarchal society. We didn't get that until we brought in the Abrahamic religions, which is Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. We did not have all of the patriarchal systems until we brought those religions in. So at one time, women were the rulers of the land, right? Let's talk about Cleopatra, right? Mm -hmm. She was a ruler. Let's talk about all of these queens that were rulers back in those days because the patriarchal society was not like it is now, right? We had a more even balanced system. And because of that even balanced system, women were able to advance in unlike what they're doing now, right? So... I think a lot of that has to do with uh, sex work, but also with, with shaming women for being sexual, right? So like for you, if you were a really highly sexual creature, right? As a woman, do you feel like that would shame, that people would shame you for being extremely sexual as a female? Probably. Yeah. If I was flaunting it out there, yeah, they would you know because if i was out there with multiple people and having sex the society would review me as a slut or something 
Right. But does it do that to men? No. So Not why, usually. So what should we doing? Instead of shaming women for being sexually empowered, we should empower them. We should tell them, hey. It's okay. It's okay. You're a sexual person. And guess what? Sex is the most biological process we fucking have. So to sit there and say that you're a sexual person, I think that shouldn't be a problem. I think that men have always viewed women not only as sex, sex objects, but as the mothers of their children. So they view that these women have got to give birth to children, a lot of children, and take care of them. So they're the mothers. Right. Not, you know, what a sexual being. Which they makes, use you know what i mean which i agree with you but it makes no sense right no. like how the they're, fuck are they how, how do they become mothers without being sexual beings that makes no fucking because sense. they're not supposed to enjoy anything right like they're right they're just they're just a plaything for the men right and then they become mothers and it, then, exactly then they have to take care of the children which and and honestly i, I don't see that that is a, a a good place to be i think you as a woman, if you enjoy sex, you should feel empowered to enjoy sex. You should feel like, hey, I want that butt plug, honey. Let's go get it. Okay. You know, I'm not saying that that's where you're heading, baby. I'm just <laughs> saying, you know, but if that's something you wanted, you should be empowered to do that. Right. Um, we'll get back. We'll get on to a whole other list of subjects at some point talking about uh, socio-political, I mean, well, social, social structures, you know, we talk about, me and you personally talk about monogamy and poly, polyamory quite often because we have two, some, some different viewpoints, but we've already kind of discussed in, in, in what we're talking about is that a lot of those viewpoints are still because of the patriarchal religious constructs. Yeah, because I think we, we learned it at an early age. Yeah. And it takes it takes a long time, I guess, to change that kind of point of view, because that's the way society has been for eons. Right. And you have to break the you have to break those 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 viewpoints. But it doesn't necessarily mean you have to structure your relationship style any different. You just need to understand that the different the viewpoint that you have is based on uh, systemic oppression by the patriarch or patriarchal society. Now, me as a male, I'm a, I'm a feminist male. I believe in feminism for, and I think men, most men should be feminists, but because of the fact is that we want our partners to be supported and empowered. And so unless you're the type of male who wants to oppress your partner and who wants to own your partner, right, mm -hmm. then you should be a feminist. And so me as a feminist, I feel like I want you to do the things that you want to do. I don't think the the churches out there provide an environment where it's safe to do that, where the, the people can still be poly and do all the stuff that they want and have this freedom and still be able to go and cherish God right? because they're looked down upon. So what are those people supposed to do at that point? Right. No, I get that. They can't go to the church and say, hey, I've got multiple partners. I'm in this poly relationship, but I'm having issues. Right, right. Um, so tonight, we're like I said, we're going to talk to um, 
Laura Savage, um, and we're going to talk about, since the biggest part of our, our show today is really about shame brought on by religion or brought on by patriarchal society, that kind of thing, we're going to talk to her about how shame has affected her as a sex worker and a sex work coach. So she should be on very shortly, so when she comes on, uh, we will definitely put you in. Thank you. Hello. Hi there. How are you? We are great. We are great. My wife is joining us for this episode. Um, Hi there. I'm Laura. It's nice to meet you. Okay. So we've been talking about how the uh, patriarchal society very much um, really, really gets into this whole oppressing of women's sexuality, oppressive, oppressing of women's um, right to embrace their sexuality. Um, we have also been talking about, um, you know, how sex work is no different than any other job. People have to work to make money. They have to be able to pay their bills. They need to be able to do all of this stuff. But yet with our laws that are governed by the, by the religious right, um, I'm an atheist, so I apologize if I say anything offensive. No, you're fine. I, I, am, I am questioning when it comes to religion. So, <laughs> so, we, so I completely understand. So yeah, me and my wife had talked about like how um, religion, like a lot of our laws against sex work and and against, you know, so many things are very heavily based on re religious morality and religious shame. And so today, our topic is mainly about, you know, the shaming of sex work and the shaming of sexuality in, in, in the first place when, when it comes to women. Um, because honestly, men don't, sh don't face a lot of that sh shame unless they're part of the LGBTQ community. So... Yeah. What I want, so I had a few questions to ask you and I really appreciate it. But before I ask you any questions, one thing I would like to do is I'd like to offer you a chance to uh, tell us a bit about yourself. And I know that you also, um, I was telling my wife, you also offer um, coaching for, um, yeah. for new sex workers and things like that. And so I wanted you to give uh, an I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of plug your business and to kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, if that's okay. Oh, absolutely. That's so sweet. Thank you. Um, I'm Laura Savage. I've been a, a sex worker for seven years. The bulk of my experience is in full service. Um, I came into the business out of necessity. Um, and the fact that um, was coming from living below the poverty level and sex work was sort of a Hail Mary to save my situation. So um, I recently, within the last year, started accidentally, if I'm honest, um, coaching other sex workers, just telling them what I've learned through my um, time doing this. And that's sort of developed into something that I'm doing with regularity now. So I'm really enjoying it. Awesome. Awesome. Now I have heard, I don't, I have heard like there are a ton of um, different sex worker uh, ran podcasts. Now I haven't listened to a lot of them. Um, I think I listened to the one that you sent me solely so that I could hear a little bit more about your story. Mostly what I listened to 
is uh, obviously a psychotherapy and sex therapy podcast. Uh, that's kind of my general forte as I am an aspiring sex therapist also. Um, actually in the process of getting my cert certification for that. Um, but with, with podcasting and things like that, have you ever thought about doing a podcast? Like, you're, have you ever thought about doing your own podcast? I have. It's in the works. Um, okay. I've, I've thought about it quite a bit. Um, but, and it's an idea that I've sort of thrown around casually, half as a joke and half mentioned privately to some friends. And I think I might actually do this. Right now I'm running, I'm halfway through running a 12 week course um, for in-person sex workers going to finish that out spend the holidays with family and then think about the podcast in the new year so stay tuned awesome awesome okay so i want to kind of get to some of the questions that i sent and i did send sure. some of these questions pre pre uh pre-show just primarily because i like for the guests to kind of have a chance to prepare what they're going to say right or at least know how they're going to improv it right so <laughs> Exactly. Uh, questions that Tanya may have, I didn't have. So if she wants to ask you questions, I'm going, uh, I'm, uh, then she'll ask you questions. Th those would be the only questions that are not um, pre-sent, right? That's so, fine. So you actually did tell us a little bit about uh, how you got into sex work, or you, into sex work, but you, you did get into it out of necessity, out of necessity. Can you kind of explain that a little bit? Would you mind? Um, as far as getting it, not at all. As far as getting into it out of necessity, um, we, at the time, we're um, a family of six. Um, I live in the Philadelphia area. We had a household income of less than a thousand dollars a month. Things were rough. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, a lot of things were going on that made, um, made life difficult. And I was just a mom and, you know, had my, my four kids and, started looking into doing um, phone work because I could be home with my family and I could still make a living. And that was initially the direction that I was going to go in. But as I started researching it, I found the world of escorting and sort of thought, um, this seems like it might be a little more lucrative. It seems like it might be more interesting. And reached out to someone who had a website about sort of the business behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. read everything that they had there, asked them if they offered coaching and they said, yes. And off we went. So, um, it's been, it was, it really saved my life. Like, like I was dealing with mental illness. I was struggling from below the poverty line and found this world. And it's been an incredible blessing to me. Good. Good. Um, Tammy, did you have any, uh, have any questions? Um, no, it's more about her coaching. Uh, did you do any uh, training to do that? Like to coach these women or I don't know if you have no. any. <laughs> Unfortunately, one half, it's Tanny or Tammy. Is it with an N or an N? Tanya. Tanya. Okay. So um, what had happened was um, I had my client facing profile. Okay. I, you know, had a bunch of followers on Twitter under my escort persona and then ended up at the very, very end of 2020. Um, 
because 2020 was a hell of a year for all of us. At the very, very end of 2020, I ended up opening this sort of anonymous Twitter account. And I, I had just had a breakup with, with a man that I very deeply loved. And, and I was sort of burnt out. I didn't know what my next moves were going to be in business. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to open this Twitter account and rant. So I got stoned on New Year's Eve and decided I was just going to rant about my life. Well, because I, you know, after doing that for a couple of weeks, not even a couple of weeks, I didn't even think it took that long. I think it was a week, maybe. Um, I started sort of just sharing business tips. And the profile photo used to be a picture of my dog, Enzo, but I just sort of started sharing business tips of things that I picked up through my seven years doing this. And then I had done this long thread of, of how to use Twitter as a sex worker and how I built my initial Twitter following. And based on that thread, a lot of people started reaching out to me. They said, do you offer coaching? And I said, sure, um, I can meet with you and I'll tell you what I know. Okay. And they said, well, how much do you charge? And I didn't feel right about saying this is how much, like, I didn't feel right about it because number one, um, I knew that what I knew worked for me, but I didn't know that it would work for others. I just knew this is what had made me my money. This is what had built my business. Um, and also I know that if somebody's coming to you, they generally need help so that, you know, these people weren't likely sitting on, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars in order to pay for coaching. So I said, make a donation. I said, pay what you can. We'll get on zoom. We'll talk and you can, you know, you can make a donation for my time. And based on that, it just sort of took off. So it was, you know, I'm not accredited by any means. I just am a very, you know, casual person. I just get on there and I'm like, here's what I know. Ask your questions. I'll try my best to answer them um, from what I've, I've done myself. Life coach for uh, this this, that's exactly it that's exactly sure. it. Well, yeah. and i'll be like here's what's new well and the, and the thing is is that you know like like even life coach like they're not regulated like it's not a co coaching is not something that is a protected um title like like me as a counseling therapist in nova scotia registered counseling therapist is protected title, but I could call my accountant self a counselor all day long and, and not even have any education in it. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, psychotherapist, uh, in some of the provinces in Canada, we have a registered psychotherapist is a protected title, but mm -hmm. it's not everywhere. Um, the only protected yeah. titles in mental health really are psychologists, psychiatrists, and clinical social worker. Those are the only really protected titles. Um, so for you, the, uh, no, that's fine. We're, we're snuggling. The <laughs> um, so for you, like to say that you're coaching, you don't need to be, you don't need to, to uh, have that or you don't need to say, or you don't need to worry about any protected titles. So what you do, I feel is life coaching for you. And you have a specific set of clients, right? So like some of us therapists, we specialize in working with clients that are, 
schizophrenic. Some of us specialize in couples therapy. Well, in your life coaching experience, you, you specialize with sex workers. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's why I'm putting it. And I think that's incredibly generous of you to say, I really appreciate that. Um, it's, it's just, I like to just think of it as like, we get together. I'll tell you what I know doing the course that I'm doing right now is super fun because it creates this little community. People get to know each other. Sex work can be really isolating, especially if you're not in a major city. Um, but yeah, I'll take, I'll take life, life coach for sex workers. Absolutely. About to get some business cards. So so <laughs> I gotcha. But uh, no, and, and <laughs> Honestly, as 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 an aspiring as an aspiring sex therapist, seriously, like we are looked at. Sex therapists are also looked down upon, like a, a lot of times, because of the fact that we work with sex. So anytime you bring that word "sex" in, you're looked down on. Honestly, because I, and, and we know this by what's happening on Twitter, by what's happening on Facebook, things like that. Like if you even use the word "sex" in your Twitter, like that can get you into a lot of trouble. Like or, or on Facebook, things like that. So a lot of people right now. If they're saying sex worker, they're going to put S and then they're going to put some kind of symbol and then the X so that they can kind of, you know, get around that rule. And so and a lot of that is part of the shaming process, like our our, our world is very shaming when it comes to sex work. Uh, it's very shaming when it comes to. I think any sexual empowerment of women, I think it's very, very sh- that that our society shames it. You know. So, but, um, being in the U S right. Like I'm originally from, I'm originally from the U S from Oklahoma and she's a, a, and my wife is a, a, a local Nova Scotian girl. Right. And so, but being from the U S and being from Oklahoma, I do know that prop that sex work itself is illegal and except in certain places like i know like it's i know it's legal in nevada i think right like and and that's only if you happen to work for a brothel because for full service survival sex work and like being on the streets is sex work it's still not legal in nevada you have to be part of the brothel so knowing that like do you feel like i mean do you feel like uh why, why do you think sex work honestly is illegal anywhere I mean, selling sex, I mean, legal, I mean, sex itself is legal, right? Selling things is generally legal, right? So why do you think sex work itself is illegal? Well, I always find it funny because if, I'll just say this, and then I'll get to the reason of of why, the sort of root of why I think it's criminalized. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like this, if I was going to um, have sex with somebody for free, Um, And it was just the two of us. We don't know each other. That's fine. If I was going to have sex with somebody for money and a camera is there, Mm -hmm. then that's fine. But if the camera is not, it is not. So I think it comes down to like, it's the, it's a little kind of strange. It's not logical, but I do think at its root, it has, it, it sort of comes down to, um, keeping marginalized people, marginalized portions of the population oppressed. Yeah, like, I don't understand. Like you said about the camera, you get paid to be on camera to have sex for pornography, but you can't have, get paid sex on, you know, when there's no camera. It's true. It's absolutely true, Tanya. Like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. But when, 
you know, I, and I think, I do think it has to do with, with the, you know, sort of systematic oppression of marginalized portions of a population, because like, I have privilege, I'm white, I'm cis. Um, but most, like, like the, the sex workers that we see on, on Twitter, who have, you know, their shiny, clever, client-facing personas are just the smallest portion of the sex worker population. The largest part of us are people who um, are, are not coming from that place of privilege. Right. And when you take puritanical ideals, which a lot of countries, specifically America, still have, Mm-hmm. And you combine them with things like systematic racism and, and systematic oppression. It's sort of the perfect storm where they're going to criminalize the one way that is most accessible for somebody who has those marginalizing factors to support themselves and make money. Yeah. It's very yeah. sad. Yeah, I could, comp- I think I, I completely agree with that as far as like, like, and, and, you know, I say, like like I'm a feminist male so like for me it's definitely the way that unfortunately my ancestors of manhood and like these these you know masculine toxic fuckers right <laughs> like they they definitely want to oppress women like and so we we sit here and we talk about the marginalized and that is a huge thing a lot of it too is also just the oppression of women period you know, a lot of it's not even just the marginalized and, and I don't want to discount the marginalized. I'm not doing that at all. Like they, they do, they, they are very oppressed by this. Right. But women have been oppressed for a very long time and yeah. uh, men have treated women like they are property for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Like you look at, like, I'm happily, in marriage with my wife but i don't fucking own her right and she doesn't own me like but in a lot of in in a lot of marriages especially those that are rooted in judeo-christian principles or whatever you know uh, a lot of them the men feel like they own their wife and if their wife does anything that is not for them you know then they get pissed off that's why it took so long for women to be in the workforce you know. well, and there's still some of those uh, those poor countries where they oppress women by saying you can't even look at another man, you can't even yeah. do any, you know, like the women don't have any rights. Right. But in the sex industry, yeah, I mean, in the other in the sex, Go ahead, I'm sorry, it's not just um, just women that's yes selling sex; it's men too. Right. Okay. Now you were, you were saying like, the like, no, it's fine. I, I think you make a very, very good point, Tanya, because in our numbers, like in the ranks of sex workers throughout the world, um, yeah, it's, it's women, but it's also a large population of trans people, mm-hmm. a large population of people of color. Mm-hmm. And while as a white woman who comes from privilege, I'm, you know, Oh, like, yeah, feminism is a thing, you know, misogyny is a thing, but I'm able to move about in my world freely with relative ease. But for a trans woman of color, mm-hmm. the world is still an extremely dangerous place and even more so if she's a sex worker. 
So I never want to put it up as like, it's, it's just misogyny. Mm-hmm. I always want to put it up as like, I'm going to use my voice as much as I can to amplify the voices of people who, who deserve to be amplified more than mine as a white woman. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like what you were saying, it's okay to have a camera in case of sex for pornography, but why not for personal gain, you know, like your personal thing? Well, and to sell it. Like, what, what's the difference? I have a theory. Go ahead. I'm curious because everybody has, has junk in their pants. And if you have junk in your pants, if somebody else has money, then you can make money. And people don't like that. They want to be able to keep that agency out of the hands of people as, po- as many people as possible. And when they, you know, especially when you're coming from being gay or trans or person of color or living in, in sort of constant, you know, constant poverty, having that population of people be able to sort of raise themselves up, provide for themselves, and therefore advocate for themselves because they're not struggling to survive, that threatens the whole goddamn system that we've got going on in America. Like the whole system is built to keep marginalized folks down. And when everybody's got junk in their pants and another population has money, that levels the playing field in a way that unfortunately, you know, a rich white man is not comfortable with. Yeah. Gives power yeah. into the hands of the marginalized. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, there, we were talking about uh, in the beginning of the show when, uh, it, before you came on, we were talking about in, in uh, therapy, when we talk, when, when we talk about a lot of this, we also talk about the minor, the minority stress model, which basically talks about, you know, whereas me as a white man, I don't have to try a a white, well, cis passing man, I guess I'm more of a, um, I'm more, I'm part of the LGBT community, but we don't, but because I am also married to a woman, you know, like I don't have to hide who I am. I don't have to I don't have to try and um, cover up what I do as a man, as a white man, you know, I don't have to do all that stuff. Whereas uh, your trans, uh, your trans folks, your, your BIPOC people, things like that, they have to try to, they have so many stressors that we don't have. And so there's a really good model that was created for the LGBT community to help understand uh, minority stress, and uh, I will have a link on the uh, on the episode t- or on the episode notes. Uh, but it also can apply to sex workers. Can apply to this model. Can apply to sex workers. It can ex- apply to trans women of color, trans men of color. Uh, it can apply to um, indigenous um, because in a lot of societies, I know in Oklahoma, we, we had so many indigenous folks. So like, it's a different ball game in Oklahoma than, than a lot of other places in the country. But like here in Canada, like the main racism here in Canada actually tends to happen against the indigenous here in Canada. And so you see a lot of uh, systemic racism against indigenous folks here in Canada. Um, it still happens with the African Canadians, but not as much as the indigenous Canadians here. So, Mm -hmm. um, being 
of any BIPOC community, right? Like you have to, I mean, you, there's so many things that you have to do that we don't have to do as white people. I remember I had a really good friend of mine that we used to cruise 12th street, which was a drag street in, in Oklahoma, where we'd go cruising, play our base, base out, all that stuff. And uh, he was African-American and we got pulled over simply because he was African-American because he wasn't speeding. Now his base was pretty, pretty low, but everybody else's was too. So like, I, I just know that he got pulled over because of his color and, and he got pulled out of the car and slammed against the car. And the officer was really polite to me and asked me to, to get out of the car. So the racism, def the systemic racism definitely happens. I'm definitely, unfortunately, I'm definitely a, as someone who is privileged, I, I definitely have benefited from the privilege. I think that's one of the things that, that if you are privileged, you should definitely be, be speaking up about and saying, yes, I did benefit from it. I don't like it, but I did benefit from it because to say that you don't benefit from it is bullshit, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a huge, huge problem. So brings me to the next, my next question for you, right? During your time in the sex industry, have you, have you been shamed for your work? I know that's kind of a, you know, like it's kind of almost a rhetorical question, but you know, in your work, have you been, have you noticed being shamed in your work? Absolutely. Absolutely. It happens to all of us, um, regardless of where we're coming from, we're stigmatized, whether we are, um, a street worker, whether we are an OnlyFans creator, whether we are a phone worker, whether we are seeing politicians and staying the night in a, you know, the Ritz Carlton, we are shamed just by virtue of what we do. And it's happened to me, um, both in personal life from clients, um, and from Wait, even weirdly sometimes clients or other people. Yeah, of course. Like they want that cognitive dissonance between sort of like this is what I'm doing, and there's a, there, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance there. Let me just put that it that way. Yeah. So it's it's definitely happened. Um, yeah, it has. Kind of like the it's kind of like the Republican legislators that shame homosexuality and then get caught in a bathroom with a little boy. You know. Yeah, it's kind of like the Republican legislators who book someone like me and then sign on FOSTA SESTA, like, right, work is a problem. Okay. Right. Right. So, I mean, <laughs> um, how much, is. <laughs> how much of the shaming of sex work do you think comes from, um, political shaming or, and religious shaming? Um, what, what where do you, what do you think a lot of that shaming comes from? I think it's the same type of shame because like, I, I mean, I'm not, I know you guys are, are left. Like I can read that from a mile away, but I also am, and I'm not going to make it a thing about, you know, here in the States, Republican versus Democrat, but we know very, very well that um, one of those parties is intrinsically um, tied to religion, mm -hmm. specifically Christianity. So it's almost like the same shame, but they've, kind of hushed Jesus slightly and made it about family, but it's this coming from the same place. And it's the place of, of religious shame and, you know, and just sort of guilt. 
et cetera, around sex. It never, I mean, think about the Bible. I mean, I've read it. I grew up a Jehovah's Witness. Want to talk about religious shame. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I grew up a Baptist. Yeah. I understand. Exactly. Let me tell you, you know, you know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> you know, think about, think about what we would call um, Babylon the Great or the Whore of Babylon. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest villains in the Bible. She's got the word whore right in her name. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they would do anything. Um, those, those sort of, of, you know, who have like patriarchal, like bible writers, I like, I, whatever they would do anything to sort of, uh, get their dicks hard while at the same time stigmatize somebody who was powerful in their sexuality. Well, um, most of the yeah. laws based on like this patriotic thinking and patriarchal and, yeah, and, yeah. and, uh, and religious thinking. Yes, yeah. definitely in the States. A lot of it is, uh, focus right. on the family related, right? So, yeah. Cause yeah. you're allowed to marry more than one person and you know, like all apparently you're not supposed to sleep around either. Not, in- I know what the hell is that about Tanya? <laughs> think of the children okay and and tanya was making a good point like um at when in in the beginning of show right like is that all those patriarchal men want to see is that that women are the only thing they think women should use sex for is for childbirth and that's pretty much it you know uh and i think the reason that it scares them so much with the people of um, marginal, the, the, the marginalized people is that they're scared of them being sexual at all, whether it's sexually, uh, whether it's sex work or just being sexual, sexual creatures at all, because they don't want more of them, right? They want to hold that, hold that down, that population down, or at least that's my thought, you know? What do you I mean, th- it's it's a theory like I can't begin to get into the headspace of that kind of person because I'm not like it's like right. people should get their free fuck who you want to fuck all right do your thing as long as everybody's an adult and everybody's into it go nuts guys but they do seem to want to be very um intimately involved in the bedrooms of of specifically um LGBT folks yeah like like why do you care so much? But they definitely have an interest, and in, and it's and it's definitely trying to keep everything in a, a sort of very puritanical, family friendly, leave it to Beaver box that doesn't never really applied. But I think family God, they're really they're I think families are generally closer to Roseanne than they are Leave It to Beaver. Okay, like that's just kind of how it is. Like that's <laughs> you know like. Let's be real about it. um, So how has shame affected you mentally and physically, whether it's been through sex work or for through any kind of sexual shaming? Like, how has that affected you mentally or physically? You know, I, it's funny. I just like, as I skimmed through the questions and I was like, yeah, this is cool. And then I was just, um, you asked that and I was like, oh, in a big way, because it didn't really register um, until just now. So let me say this. Um, I'm a highly sexual person mm-hmm. in, in my actual life. Um, 
And there's, you know, as, as a woman who is not um, shy, somebody who's flirtatious, somebody who's dominant, and somebody who does not have a super duper skinny Kylie Jenner body, um, there is a lot of, of shame that's sort of uh, assigned to people who look like that, um, just for desire, just for wanting sex, just for having the nerve to, to pursue sex or the nerve to consider yourself as sexually attractive. I was talking to a friend about this and there's this always this idea of being too much to handle, too much to handle, too much to handle. And that predated sex work for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and as it was interesting in my personal case, and I don't ever want to speak for all sex workers and say this would be the case for all of them. Mm -hmm. But in my case, sex work was able to start healing those wounds mm -hmm. because I was able to see it as a positive thing, an affirming thing, as opposed to being something that I need to sort of be ashamed of and, and hide from, from sexual partners. Yeah. Um, you know, I can't, I mean, I, I probably couldn't agree with you more on, on this fact of like, you know, I hear a lot of times, you know, uh, I've heard people say, um, you need to, uh, you need to be there for, I, even in the community that is working for sex worker rights, right? I've heard the, the phrase, she's someone's daughter. She's someone's mother, you know, and my thing is, is none of that should matter. Whether she's someone's daughter, whether she's someone's mother, whether it doesn't matter, it should not matter. What should matter is that she's a human being that wants that, that is empowering her. And so um, I think that we do a lot of this whole, have a lot of this whole savior mentality in, in which I would prefer instead of the savior mentality, the empowerment mentality. So like, instead of trying to save everyone, let's empower them to, to do the things they need to do, right? And that savior mentality, I do believe is, a, is another cause of shame because you set out and you act like people can't do these things for themselves, but they can if you give them the tools to do it. And that's kind of my thing with sex work, right? Is I'm not trying to go out and save sex workers. What I want to do is empower them to be able to have, or I want to help empower them to be able to, li to live the lives that they want, that they choose. Because it's not anybody else's business what they choose. It's their business, you know? And yeah. I, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just saying that- uh, You're fine, you go ahead. Yeah, we're, you want them to be able to do it safely with the right with the services that mm -hmm. everybody else gets. Yeah, I mean, I don't have to worry about if somebody attacks me as a therapist, I can go to the police department and file a report and actually expect that there might be some justice, right? Uh, or not, you know, as a sex worker, um, you can't. Like, like I've heard so many stories of, of sex workers who were sexually assaulted. They go and, uh, and if, if they do trust the police enough to go and report that the police is the police people, the law enforcement's like, 
Well, I mean, you are a sex worker and that should not ever happen. You know, just like I have heard that heard about uh, sex workers uh, going to doctors and saying I was raped and I've heard I've even heard doctors and therapists say, well, you are a sex worker. Right. So they make so they make the work sound like you deserve the it. main problem, which is not the problem. Yeah, ask him for it because no, the problem is. Okay. Sex, so you asked for it. That's yeah. What it's sort of a yeah. It's sort of an extreme view of well, you were dressed like that. You were asking for it, right? It's a, sort of the same vibe. But like that, like, I agree with the empowerment. I just want to address one thing about it: is that sometimes sex work is incredibly empowering. And I'm very lucky that in my case, mm -hmm. I find myself very empowered in my work. Mm -hmm. For some people, it's not empowering. And that has to be okay too. What needs to change is the system around it, just sort of like, like the entire system that makes people have to do a job that they, that puts them in danger that they don't want to do in order to literally feed themselves and the people who depend on them and keep from being homeless. Well, and that's because. What that's honestly what I mean by empowerment, right? Like if someone wants to do sex work and they enjoy doing sex work, they should be empowered to do that. If they don't yeah. enjoy sex work, you don't have to save them, but empower them by giving them tools, give them more education, yeah. give them better housing, give them opportunities medical. for medical, give them, give them the things that they need to help them live the life that they want to live. That was my whole point. It wasn't saying that it's not that you should empower everybody to be sex workers. It's saying that empower people to do the things that they want to do. Yes. Yes, exactly, Tim. I so agree with that because it's sort of like whether somebody is working at McDonald's for minimum wage and struggling and can't even pay their bills, even though they're working 40 hours a week, that's still exploitation. Yeah. That's just exploitation by a corporation. And you should be grateful to have a job, right? Right. Um, so it's like it's the whole system around it that's completely fucked three ways till Sunday, you know? Yeah, it is. It is. So this is kind of another question, like being, being, has being shamed had an impact on you trusting mental health professionals or trusting um, medical professionals, law enforcement, that kind of thing? Do you think it's had an impact on you personally uh, as far as trusting th those types of yes. individuals? <laughs> yeah. Yes, I'm very, very grateful um, that I have, um, I, you know, I've had therapists who have been very, um, sex positive and sex worker positive. Um, I'm very, very lucky in that sense. Um, I'm very lucky that, you know, my doctor is, is aware and, and does not judge. However, no matter what, like you always get that lump in the throat whenever it's time to start having that conversation about what you do for work. Right. And no matter how many times you practice that elevator speech, you're sort of like, okay, this could go one of two ways. And I'm either going to, to have to stand in the light of somebody who's going to be judgmental or somehow even worse pitying mm -hmm. or, or some, or, you know, or reactionary in some negative way. Right. Or this person is going to be like, 
Okay, great. Let's focus on your medical care because that's what we're here for. And again, I've been grateful that my most recent medical professionals have been able to provide that for me. But yeah, I still get nervous because of it. And as far as law enforcement, I don't trust cops, man. A cab. As the younger folks would say, no cap. I, I, I'm not. Yes. I'm sure. not like, I'm not a, uh, I don't really trust most police officers. I, I trust one in my entire life and he's been one of my best friends since I was a kid. And that's the only reason I trust him. Um, yeah, but you trust him because he's your friend, not because he's a cop. Correct. That's why. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, therapist, as a, a therapist, even as a therapist, it t- takes me, it took me a long time to trust a therapist because of, mm-hmm. um, because, uh, you know, like I always felt like they were judging me and that what, and that comes from a life of, you know, uh, and I think that's why I hit religious, so, religion so hard because like living a life as a, as a Baptist and being, you know, bisexual and things like that, like that was a really hard time you know? And so, Mm -hmm. um, so trusting anybody was very, very difficult. Um, and I find that I didn't start trusting therapists until I came across LGBT affirming therapists. And it was primarily because they seemed to understand it. Right. And so for, for any of my therapist colleagues that are listening to me, right. There are a few ways that you can be a sex work affirmative therapist, okay? One is first increase your competency in understanding sex work and the sex workers, okay? You have to understand that, understand, right? Make connections with the sex work community so that you get, so that you understand them, so that you can talk to them, so that you can learn more about that culture because it is a culture, okay? Uh, visibly identify people uh, to people that you are a sex worker affirming therapist. Identify yourself as a sex worker affirmative therapist. Say, look, I'm not going to tell you that your job is the problem. Your job is not the problem. It may not be the problem with your mental health. It could be, but it may not. And unless you deem that sex work is the problem, then we're going to work on what you see the problem as. Because honestly, as a therapist, yes, I know theory. I know how to do counseling. I know this stuff. But I think that everybody is the expert on themselves. So if I want to know something, I'm going to go to the experts. So tell me about you. Right? Um, And I have this whole list that I came up with that that, that I, I really like. I, I came up upon it on a uh, sex work advocacy site and it was talking about uh, therapy. So understand sex work experience from a client centered approach. In other words, for anybody that doesn't understand what client centered mean, Carl Rogers was, had a psychological theory called client centered therapy. And it basically said that the main important parts of therapy were the therapeutic alliance or the relationship between the therapist and the client and unconditional positive regard, which means no matter who they are, you see them Mm -hmm. as positive people, as people that are good people. No matter who they are, what they do, that's just how you do it, okay? 
And so I feel like that's really important if you're going to work with sex workers as a therapist is to view sex workers as whole people, not as just sex workers. You know, um, uh, therapists need to validate also experiences of proximal and distal stressors. Um, Now, I'm not going to get on and get into what proximal and distal stressors are, but I am going to have the link to the minority stress um, on on the the show notes so you can look up and kind of understand it. I am a big believer in do the research. I'm going to give you the, I'm going to give you guys the link. You guys can do the research, right? Um, but for, sure, absolutely. for you, my final question really for you, and, and I really want to say, I really appreciate you doing my show, but my final question oh, is as a sex worker, what would you like to see as far as how therapists, doctors, law enforcement, and other professionals and people treat sex workers. What would you like to see in the future as far as law changes? What would you like to see in the future as far as the different things that would make life easier for sex workers and help them to do what they need to do? Not giving them an escape plan unless they ask for one, but giving them the means to do what they see best for themselves. So tell me what you would like to see. Um, I like them to leave us alone as far as laws are concerned, sex workers work, okay? As far as, as what is going to help us, what's gonna help us is being able to do what we're good at, being able to do our jobs, um, holding space for other people, whether that is, is emotionally, physically, sexually, whatever that looks like. Um, and and allowing us to run our businesses in peace. Um, also, as far as, as therapists, I will just say, Tim, if I had a dollar for every person who's ever reached out to me saying, do you know how I can find a sex worker friendly therapist? And I usually have to tell them it's going to be guess and check because some of them are going to say, yeah, I'm friendly. And then you're going to meet with them a couple of times and all of this stigma is going to come off of them. Mm -hmm. Um, If somebody has Mm -hmm. the courage to put themselves out there as I am definitely a sex worker, friendly therapist in any geographical area, they are going to attract a large following. I mean, a large client base because we are everywhere, sex workers and, and everybody can benefit from therapy. If not constantly, definitely at during different times of their life. Right. Um, as far as doctors and mental health professionals, um, learn to treat the person and not stigmatize them because they are a sex worker. Even if it is something that is sex related, we are not dirty. We are not um, diseased. We are not addicted. Mm-hmm. Sometimes addiction can happen, but that's an illness, not a character flaw. And it certainly um, can't be conflated directly to working in the sex industry. Correlation is not causation in that, that is, case. That is um, Yeah. 
So learn to treat the person, provide excellent medical care, and make sure that people that your patients know that you are coming from a place of non-judgment and that you are here for them and you see them, as you said brilliantly, as a whole person. Um, for it, this is not a, I don't nor I, I don't, I'm not paid by this group by any way, <laughs> in any shape or form. Um, something that you might also look at whenever you are in the adult industry uh, is a organization called the Pineapple Support. Uh, and yes, the, I've heard. It is pineapplesupport.org. Uh, they have counselors, they have people that you can talk to if you work in the adult industry, whether that is in porn, whether that is sex, full service sex work, it doesn't matter that they have people there to listen to you when you need help with mental health support. If you are in those days, having one of those days in which you are having suicidal ideologies or having any issues that are causing you to want to harm yourself or anyone else, please just reach out to someone. Um, but again, I want you to know that Pineapple Support is a really good organization to reach out to because they are there for people in the adult sex work industry. Is that like in, in the, um, any like across the nation? Or I like? know that's mostly in the U.S., but I believe there in Canada, there are tons of places like Maggie's, like, um, like several different drop-in centers here in Nova Scotia, there are stepping stones organization and they are drop-in center and they can help with some of the mental health stuff also so like anything there are people out there for uh to help sex um, to be there for sex workers there are people out there that do view you as people not as what you do okay so my thing is is i'm gonna mm -hmm. see you as laura just like i would see um tom as tom and not the construction worker right like it's a people is people, not their job. Yeah, they're not labeled as their job. Mm -hmm. That's true. So I just wanted to kind of give that information out to anybody that is listening. Uh, again, May I, I add one. Yes, please do. In the UK, National Ugly Mugs. And if you're in the UK, you're probably familiar with that. But National Ugly Mugs has a directory on their site for sex worker friendly therapists in the UK. Um, and if in doubt, if you have a local swap chapter, sex worker outreach program, you can reach out to your local swap and they might be able to direct you to local resources as well. And in Canada, the same thing. If you if you would like mm -hmm. to reach out to uh, the SPOC, uh, the SPOC, uh, they are also there to help with uh, with uh, sex work advocacy and the things that you need. Mm -hmm. So, um, Laura, again, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, yes. it oh, it's my pleasure. So lovely to meet you too. Thank you so much for spending this Saturday afternoon with me. Thank you for being very uh, kind as far as scheduling. I know uh, that was kind of a mess up, but thank you so much. <laughs> I was taking a nap on my sofa and I'm like, oh shit, it's now. <laughs> well, so, so I'm glad it worked. <laughs> here the problem is, is like I'm originally from Oklahoma, so I'm still thinking central time. Whereas, That's fine. <laughs> whereas I'm in Atlantic time now. So like, I'm actually an hour ahead of you, not an hour. Yeah, it's weird. That's fine. That's but, fine. It worked out. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you. you. No problem. Uh, whenever I, I, and guys, thanks for listening to the show. I don't have a lot of listeners, but guys, 
Um, anybody that does listen to the show, I want to thank you very much because honestly, there are some social issues that are out there that we really need to fix and we can't fix it without community, guys. We just can't. So if you're listening to the show, if you want to listen to more, just go on to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the show's there. Um, I don't ask for money. I don't ask for Patreons. Just come see me. Just come hang out on the show. You know, come watch the show um, and or listen to the show. I don't do any video stuff because I'm not a pretty man. I don't want to be on the sh- I don't want video. Nobody needs to see that. Okay. <laughs> wants to be a guest on if he's very handsome, don't let him lie to you guys. If, um, if someone wants to be on the show, um, you can contact me at alloveislove2020 at gmail.com. Uh, that is a um, email for both my All Love Is Love podcast and for this podcast. I generally have them both um, so that I don't have to manage more than one because I'm lazy. So go ahead and send me an email if you want to be on the show. We would love to talk to you. Um, All Love is Love is also about polyamory and about um, helping folks understand that monogamy, even though I am a monogamous, is not the only valid relationship style. We want to explore different relationship styles. So if people ever want to be on that show, email me. Come on. If you have a different relationship style, I'd love to hear from you. Um, If you are a political junkie like me, and swing to the left okay <laughs> go ahead and come on to the show just let me know all right other than that with this has been socio-political mindscape you guys have a great day goodbye okay so that was awesome thank you so much for this this was fun no problem like you know um i i really i just took a training by dr eric sprangle um and he works at the he does he's a um a big guy at the uh minnesota sexual health institute and he did a really good one hour uh training class on being a sex worker um affirmative therapist um and so i took this training Uh, Because, you know, as a counselor, we have to have continuing education. So I wanted to do that. He also did a training on the difference, the minute differences of sex work and sex trafficking, which is the biggest thing for me is that the FOSTA and SESTA and and the the, uh, Bill C-36, which is the protection of communities and exploited persons um, here in Canada, these 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 laws are supposedly geared to help with sex trafficking they do not and what i can't get people to understand is that the more you criminalize something the more these criminal um organizations are going to prosper not Mm. not do well right like like they're going to do yeah absolutely so if you think about prohibition here in the u.s Right, right. Capone ate it Yeah, exactly. Like, all you're doing is further pushing people who need your help away and enabling horrible people. Please continue. I'm sorry. Well, and, and also, if you could, right, if you could get, um, if you can decriminalize sex work and do better like as far as law enforcement if you could if law enforcement could do better at being at treating sex workers with respect and dignity those sex workers who do it voluntarily they're your best eyes and ears against the sex traffickers 
Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, anyways, but yeah, it's been fun. Um, thank you, honey, for coming on the show. I always love it when you're with me on show on my show. It's so much fun. Laura, thank you so much for being on the show today. What I would like you to do, um, I know that you have a we've talked so much about you having a Twitter account and things like that and having um, you know, a Twitter persona. Do me a favor, will you tell the audience? how they can see you, whether it's Twitter, whether it's, you know, however you, whatever media you use. If you have an OnlyFans, you can tell them about that. If Twitter, tell them about that, whatever. Just go ahead. Absolutely. If you want to find me on the internet, you can find me on Twitter at that Laura Savage. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And folks, if you haven't really been paying attention, Ms. Savage seems to have quite a quite a knowledge of sociology. I'm just saying. So she might you might learn a thing or two by following her, is all I'm saying. Okay, guys, it's been great. Yeah. Our world is driven by sociological systems, social organizations politics, and really just some dumbass shit. It can get confusing. I'm here to unconfuse shit. Welcome to Socio-Political Mindscape. Enjoy the ride.